Welcome to the Weave Your Bliss podcast. I'm your host, Paula Crossfield, a Vedic astrologer and business coach helping you to live in your purpose. And that is what this podcast is all about. So let's jump right in to the conversation. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Weave Your Bliss podcast. I'm so excited to share the interview I have on tap for you today. It is with the founders of Bloodroot, which is a vegetarian restaurant in Bridgeport, Connecticut, that has been around for over 40 years. Selma Miriam and Noel Fury were some of the original collective members Bloodroot was founded as a lesbian collective restaurant and bookstore in 1977. It has grown to incorporate a lot of women from all over the world. It's in a beautiful location. I was able to go there and have lunch and it looks out over the water and it has become a sanctuary for feminist thought and radical political discourse over the years. Their restaurant has become known for its vegetarian food that incorporates food from all over the world. And Selma and Noel are very much pillars in the feminist movement. And I have a book called Our Daily Lives Have to Be a Satisfaction in Themselves, which celebrates 40 years of Bloodroot and has a series of their essays in it, which is what inspired me to bring them on the podcast because I feel like their viewpoint, their thoughts as elders in the movement, as far as you know, what, where feminine has gone and where it is now, just doing practical arts, like also weaving and quilting and all of those other arts and transforming those into practices that create a lot of satisfaction, even if you aren't truly satisfied with the way things are going in the world around you. So I'm really excited to share this interview with you. Okay, so let's get into this interview now with Selma Miriam and Noel Fury. I hope you enjoy. Hello, Noel and Salma. Hi, Paula. Welcome to the podcast. So nice to have you both here. It's a pleasure. I usually start by asking people about their journey. And since Bloodroot is such a unique space, I kind of want to know like about the beginnings of this journey and what motivated you to start this space. Well, we needed to have a place. I just gave a talk at our, you know, our 45th anniversary. And, you know, trying to remember back exactly what it was. But there were a lot of us, particularly lesbians, wanting to do something once we had discovered ourselves and and that we were not part of the patriarchy and we didn't want to be part of the patriarchy. And so what were we going to do? We could sit around and talk and have these raps, you know, where we compared our experiences. And we could do that forever, but we didn't want to do it forever. And most of us didn't want to do it forever. So uh, actually, a lot of women we knew decided to become therapists so that people would feel better about themselves. At the same time, there were not a great number, but there were actually 150 feminist bookstores across the country. And we had a map that we pinned up in the hall with little flags for each one of them all over the country, uh, which was okay. And I was trying to think what I wanted to do. And I thought, well, I didn't know anything about running a bookstore, but I could learn, I guess. But I had this, actually, we had one friend from California where there had been a bookstore and you could have tea and stuff like that. And I thought, wow, what a great idea. Mm -hmm. Do you remember her? Yeah. Yeah, And I don't know who it was. I don't remember her name either. 
Nobody was doing that then. Nobody, no bookstore had. And I thought, okay, okay, I really like to cook. So yeah, that, that's a good idea. That's a good one for me. And so that's where I came to it. And of course, in almost, here were these bookstores and they were just fine. And some, you know, like one friend had a uh, used clothing thing exchange, you know, whatever they were doing. They were trying to make a, a place where women would be independent, where other women would come and, you know, feel like it was okay to be who they were. Then uh, a very famous one was in Michigan, and the name of it was Amazon. Now, Amazon was not some fucker who was doing, you know, it was this, and actually there's a uh, cartoon of it in the women's bathroom. Mm-hmm. Okay? I thought it was a feminist, yeah, uh, feminist yeah, bookstore, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and so he gave them a few pennies or whatever the hell so that he could take steal their name, which has a whole different meaning now, because once upon a time it meant warrior women, and he just took it, and now it's him. So I was really angry about it. Whatever books we wrote are not for sale at Amazon, or if they are, it's somebody's old used copy that they're charging $70 for. So here we were with this thing where most of the year we were doing cooking, but then come Christmas and people would buy books, and and that was all okay, you know. Feminist books, of course, were in demand then, so we did that. Yeah, and also available because there were so many feminist right. publishers right. and distribution and like that. It was a very uh, exciting time uh, historically and politically for us. Because women wanted to know what, how were their lives going to change and what should they be doing. What we wanted, what we believed in, and what we still believe in is that every human being, regardless of what they said you were when you were born ought to be able to do anything and everything. And we have different bodies and different capabilities in terms of our bones and our muscles and all the rest of that. But we ought to be able to do whatever it is we want to do and not to settle for any stereotype of what it is to be male or female. It's those stereotypes that as feminists we're opposed to. It was more radical in those days, you know, the people who were, who we admired at least, uh, than it is right now. But then there's other things right now that are amazing. The number of black people that are all over our papers and on the television. And and that's the best thing that's happened in the last few years. I love that. Well, do you have anything you want to say about the beginning? Well, the one thing that I was going to say is we felt at the time that when feminist women went to be therapists, they lost their politics. So it all, the whole thing about the personal is political. Well, um, that political departed at that time for those women. And for women who, you know, for me, those rap groups, I said, oh my goodness, it's not my fault that I'm miserable in this life. It's this, the culture, it's the patriarchy and what it requires of me as a woman. So when the women decided of the things that they were going to do out of whatever they learned that it was going to be therapy, I saw it, we both saw it as, you know, the end of the politics for them. The, the rap groups enabled us all to see the commonality of our discomfort and unhappiness and how it wasn't our fault. It wasn't my fault that, you know, I was not happy folding socks and not getting paid for it, let's say, just to put it a real simple thing. So that was really important at the time. It, it really, the rap group really transformed my life and Selma's too, I think. It's consciousness raising. And it's, a, you know what that is. It's a, an old thing. I never can remember the man who started it in South America, but anyway. Yeah, he was a priest. A priest, I don't remember his name either, but it's in our first cookbook. He got some of these tenant farmers together. They all had the same problems. They never could make the money work out. 
And once they realize that, you know, get out of that system. Okay. That's what the rap group did for yeah. us. It said, look at all these problems, their commonalities. It's the system. Get out of the system. So we did in very intense ways early on, too. Angry feminists, I suppose, is what you'd say. And we made this a woman's space because we had to find out about ourselves in a way that wasn't a reflection or a, a projection or a trying to please the patriarch. And that's what the value of this place is to me, is that we know who we are in a way we never would have without it. Every woman that comes in the door here to work or even whatever, it gives a different side to each woman. It, it opens up a door, I suppose. It did for me. I should put this for, for myself. This is what happened. And early on, it was like, oh my God, I'm just so doubt because I can't, I, I jumped off the edge of the world to come to Bloodroot. I changed my life entirely to do this. And then, uh, then more and more as we go along, we're learning all of these things of where patriarchal values impinge on everything, control everything. And I'm thinking, I can't, I can't cope with this. It's like too much, too much, you know? And we didn't know what to do. Yeah. And I just, what I did was I just said, okay, I'll take a break from thinking about it and just, you know, be, yeah, 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 just be. And then gradually I thought, yeah, you know, it's right. It's right that, that whatever thing we discovered about the patriarchal values or whatever, that was upsetting to me, I was able to say, you know, that's right, and I just have to carry on with my feminist values with this life. It was really uh, an intense time. It's not like there was a book that was written, okay, this is what you do when you're a feminist, okay? (laughs) There wasn't any. And obviously other women, other feminist women, would have different things. There was one rather famous woman, and she decided, well, how are they going to support themselves? She and a bunch of women decided they're going to grow Christmas trees. I think that was a bad idea, and it fell through. But, you know, we had to think about that, too. How are we going to have this restaurant? And, of course, the things that happened, for one thing, there were a couple of people, and they said, you can't be eating other creatures, other sentient creatures, if you're feminist. And I was like, oh, hmm, okay. But, I mean, that wasn't my idea in the first place, but I felt they were right. You know, we try to think, you know, what kind of beer are we going to carry? Are we going to carry alcohol at all. What do we do about the garbage? I mean, it's like every single thing. And it's not that we had automatic answers to it. It's that we had to think about it because there was no, you know, motif of, you know, like, how do you be a mother? or How do you teach children or whatever? You know, there wasn't anything like that. So we, we had to invent it. Some of the things we did were not cool. For example, you know, at the beginning, because we were a collective, I thought, well, everybody who works here should be able to do all the jobs. Well, I didn't like that. There are people who are much better at the cooking and people who really like things to be neat and clean, you know. But we could think about it. And I think the very best thing we did was we worried about nobody finding us on this little dead-end street. And so how could we hire waitresses? So we figured if we would try out self-serve, which was a wonderful thing to do because the relationship that we have with customers is different. It's my pleasure to serve you tonight. I didn't like that at all. Yeah, and it seems to me like every decision has been intentional. You've been very intentional about creating the space, and it's almost like from your own mold. And something you said, I have this book that was put together of your essays that I've been reading. In one place, there was a passage about not wanting to create like a copy of the heterosexual norms or the, the norms of what the patriarchal society is doing. So that forces you to then come up with a whole new system by yourself. Well, you know, you, we, we stumbled along. Well, most, almost all the women who are working 
for us now are not lesbians. There's one Muslim, there's one evangelical Christian, there's, you know, an Ethiopian and an Eritrean. They're countries at odds with each other. They're doing really, really well. The other thing that I was always fascinated by was what kind of food do people eat, foods do people eat? And, you know, I was thinking of a European, because that's what I grew up with. We had a Mexican woman that wanted to work here, and she was going to tell me how to do Mexican food. And boy, was that valuable and wonderful. Of course, Carol is a Jamaican, and Layla is Ethiopian, and it's just wonderful. It's wonderful that we have it, you know, and the first thing that we made was a, a Puerto Rican, you know, and it was a soup. It's a wonderful thing, and people really loved it. We did a pretty good job with it, mostly because I didn't know anything about it. So here were like 10 vegetables, and uh, I never cooked them before, saw them before. So you cook them all separately and say, yeah, okay. And then when they're done, you combine it, and it is delicious. And, of course, for Puerto Ricans, also for Colombians, who there were different kind of sancocho. But, I mean, it just, it, this is purpose. This is the important purpose that this is how we know each other by the different foods that we eat. And you we should share that. Sorry. Yeah. The thing that I think about is, uh, in terms of feminism, and we talk about this a lot, is respect for the diversity of everything, the animals, the women, <laughs> the plants, all of that. that. They're all forms of life. And that, you know, I think uh, feminism just is like an umbrella that covers every kind of aspect of things. And that one is major, the whole notion to be working with women who have very different beliefs than ours and to find the places where we can connect with them and to have respect for their difference from us. It's been an amazing, amazing education. And there isn't any other place, I think, where you have the amount of intimacy Yes. With another culture, totally different culture, these women from Jamaica and from uh, Ethiopia. And we eat dinner together. Every yeah, night. we eat dinner. And, you know, I'm just really grateful that we're able to do that and to understand that. Because, you know, we make a lot of assumptions all the time. People do, I think. And somebody walks down the street in a particular dress or a particular outfit and you decide something about them. This is a, you can't do that anymore. Because people come through the door and people work here and the differences are just phenomenal. To have respect for each one is uh, what we've learned here. And I, I'm really proud of that. I'm very proud of that. Yeah, that's the best thing. It is. I mean, we have the kinds of people that walk through the doors. And the countries, you see, we have a list of countries where people have come from that have eaten here. And uh, it's, it's really an exciting thing. I saw another quote in the bathroom about corporeal politics. And oh, I, right. I was that's good, isn't it? interested because corporeal politics... Yeah. And I would like for you guys maybe to talk about that. And this, you know, our daily lives have to be a satisfaction in themselves. Wow, that's radical in itself, just to live yeah. in a different way. I don't know if you have any thoughts you want to share. You know, it's amazing to me that, you know, people have friends who had restaurants and, oh, I can't wait to be retired and not do it. What? You don't like it? You don't like the people who come? Well, I, I can't imagine living without my customers. I like them. They're my family. <laughs> you know, they're really important to me. When somebody doesn't show up for a while, I worry about them. Like George, he did George not like his night. arm around me last night. <laughs> you but, you know, you know, this is where we are. And people come in, they like our food. That's very important to me. If they don't like our food, I'm like, mm, what's wrong with them? You know? <laughs> but, you know, this is so important. And, you know, I was sick this fall, not with COVID, another thing. I was in the hospital for like a little more than a week. When I started thinking about coming back, I got tearful, tearful, you know, because I couldn't wait to get back here, you know, to see the women in the kitchen and see the customers. And this is my home, you know, 
when COVID started and I heard this guy on the television who was, you know, a different sort of healer. And I just remembered a couple of things that he said. One, one was that the, the Marines, when somebody gets hit, you don't abandon him. You, even though you're going to die, you got to take him with you. Which, and that was a time when everybody was being locked up to die alone. And, and I thought that was pretty bad. But he said, you know, don't think about love. Think about beauty. Find something every day that's beautiful. That lifted my depression about, oh, my God, what's happening? COVID's happening. And yes, you know, I get to come here and it's beautiful here. Okay. And I get to cook, which I love to do. It's magic, the transformation, you know. I like the people who walk through the door. What more can you want out of life? And what would I do at home? <laughs> if I didn't have that, it would be so miserable. I don't understand people who are retiring because what do you do? So, Noel, do you have any thoughts on the corporal <laughs> politics piece and like in a feminist perspective, just what that means? It's like yeah. we need each other. Yeah. Instead yeah. of talking about it, we're right. living it. That's right. What are you That's doing right. here? Uh, let me see. I was sort of floating off someplace else there. Do you remember what that said exactly? The, the corporal, I don't remember yeah, the full yeah, quote. I, I mean, I, in general, I just think I would like to know if, even though there were feminist bookstores, mm -hmm. the overall feminist movement thought you were doing something different, or was it a little bit more of a statement to live your politics instead of to talk about it? You know, I think it's a lot about values, you know, because, you know, what we value is what here. We're living what we value. And people, you know, value a Cadillac convertible or penthouse apartment or whatever it is, a yacht. We don't value that. So that that is a wonderful thing because we have everything we need. And those things are certainly not life. They, they're dead when you're after those things. I, I don't want to go anywhere else or be anywhere else. It's nice when we go out sometimes here and there, but I certainly... Day to day, I don't know what I would do if I wasn't able to come here and do the work. And it's also valuing the actual physical work, which in this day of technology, people don't do it. They have to go to these ugly gyms with people sweating and running up and down those machines. And all, it's so ugly. And if they had a garden, they went and dug the garden, they'd get some exercise or plowed their own driveway or whatever it is. It's just the, dis the disconnection with the earth that uh, is astonishing in this day and age, in our culture. In other less less wealthy cultures, it's not quite, it's not there yet, but certainly the technology is trying to take over the world, so at some point it will be there. And people who do actual physical labor are not thought highly of and generally aren't paid enough and all of those things. People don't have respect for somebody who cuts the lawn or, you know, that it really, it makes me crazy, really, because this is where we, this earth is where our life comes from. And there's no respect for that. Just like that movie, you know. <laughs> and we're completely interdependent. Yes. So, like, if right. that man who just came through that brought in your paper goods, right. like, if he didn't come, you right. wouldn't have those things. Well, that's right. The food is grown by farmers. I'm that's assuming right. you don't exactly. grow all the food. That's it's, right. Exactly. exactly. People don't think about those things. No, they don't. They don't. I don't know. It seems so, it's so sterile to go to an office do your work in the office, go home, turn on your TV or put your computer on, go to the gym. It's all metal and glass and there's no uh, organic stuff. There's not even plants in people's lives. Uh, it's just, it's astonishing. So in this book, you described like once you had blood root, there was a consciousness shift and there was no going back. <laughs> and, and also somewhere in here, you mentioned how other people were flocking to you because they saw something in what you were doing made them feel alive, I would say. And it's not said it like that here, but maybe you can speak a little bit about that. That 
happens actually fairly frequently where people come in. Somebody in that party or alone is different. They're really different. And what they want out of their lives is really different. And of course, I'm excited because that's wonderful. I didn't really know what I wanted out of my life until I was 40 years old. So I like that. And I don't know if they're going to be successful or not, but the possibility is there. But when you get on the track of what you're supposed to be doing, there's a thing in the paper today about the non-necessity of college. Oh, is that right? Yeah, it was good, too. Well, that is good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and how Obama really figured everybody how to go to college. And I figure, well, what's wonderful is when you encounter someone who's a um, a guy who fixed the water thing. What is he? Yeah. A, a Any kind technician. Of, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he, it's our water company and our, our uh, water meter was broken and out comes the water company folks. And the guy was just terrific and he, he did a really yeah. good job. He was proud of the job. We were thrilled because he was so efficient and pleasant. And I'm talking about the guy who came to my house because of the leak and who uh, fixed yeah. the thing here. Right. And, you know, and valuable, you know. A plumber. And it's valuable to them, too, because they are doing something really different from what everybody says you're supposed to be doing. And it's because they want the freedom to Have imagine and to enjoy the water, you know, or the electricity or, you know, these things that are blue-collar jobs. You know, when you meet someone who's enjoying it and... And this guy came because here I had this leak or something, and it was terrible. And the fellow I normally would use was in Mexico, and he's terrific, too. Anyway, he fixed it, and he was in my little greenhouse. Oh, succulents. Do you share? I said, sure, here. I said, okay, no charge. I mean, you know, it's the, the, values. the yeah. things that people value. Mm-hmm. And it's so neat. And, you know, they kid me about my boyfriends, but... You know, when there's somebody who has the same interests <laughs> that I do, and we talk about it, and we mm-hmm. exchange things, and, and of course I love them. You know, you yeah. can't help but love the people you work with. It's not sex that makes people love each other. It's about shared values. Nobody seems to know that. Yeah, well, there's one kind of love, and that's lust in the, in the world today, Wait, you so know? Of course. And so nobody talks about anything but that. That's what yeah, we're being yeah, shown right, in, really, in yeah. culture. So, and, and not only that, the sex is separated from the love most of the time. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. all this hooking right. up stuff. There isn't a connection to the emotions. Right. It's just sex. Mm-hmm. I, that's the other thing I can't get over. And right. you, know, you wonder about these kids coming up now, you know, and what they're learning. They're learning all on their computers and their phones. All It's all S&M stuff and pornography. And pornography, it's cool to say you have a, a, porn, a pornographic meal or something. And that word is so awful. And, but it's, you know, everybody thinks it's all groovy. I just can't believe it. Well, not everybody. <laughs> not everybody. <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what's neat. And the people who come here are the not everybody. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And it yeah. seems like love is that, that feeling that you had when you weren't, you weren't well and you were thinking about your customers and how you wanted oh, to be yeah. here. And, yeah. and, you know, you know it's all different. There's, there's women who come in and they knit and I knit. So, okay, we have that in common. One of the guys wants to learn to knit. I'd love to teach him, you know. There's so many things. Or it's some food because one of them cooks, male or female, you know, and we can exchange recipes. And and that's that's living, really living, you know. And mostly I feel that the, uh, the agency, uh, the computer takes away agency. So you can't do things on your own. And that's really depressing. I'm really curious what both of you think of the feminist movement now and where we've gone, like in light of Me Too, there's been a kind of resurgence of people talking about these issues. You know, I think the central core issue is is ignored. 
and that and that core issue is our bodies and respect and whatever else positive about our bodies. So, uh, I, you know, women are doing a lot of wonderful things now, and certainly Me Too, and certainly Black Lives Matter, and there's a lot of things like that. There's, they're running around in high heels and doing things to their bodies that, you know, when we, we all thought, oh, God, I don't have to wear those high heels. They really hurt my feet and mess up my body and everything. They cripple you. And women are doing that, and they're still doing all these things to be, quote, attractive, unquote, in particular ways. And, and the relationship with the body is still kind of what I would say is a patriarchal vision. And there's there actually a lot of them are saying it's empowerment. That's what they say. <laughs> they do say that. And they say it's feminist. And, you know, okay, that's what they think. That's not what I think. Mm-hmm. I really think very differently about it. And I think it's the, you know, it's where the early the 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s feminists, we fought for it and we lost that battle. We lost that battle. And, and I feel sad about that. But meanwhile, I see women who are, you know, more sure of themselves than I ever was and are doing some kind of work that they like to do and the like. So just a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag. I think definitely. Here we are today, the day that the first black woman is being nominated to the Supreme Mm -hmm. Court, which is a really big moment. Mm -hmm. It seems like it's so mixed because Mm -hmm. at the same time we have, I'm from Oklahoma and we have a new abortion law that just is on the governor's desk today Mm -hmm. for him to Mm -hmm. sign to ban all abortions. Mm -hmm. That's going to shake the fabric of of what a lot of women experience. Well, and and apropos of the the new justice, the black woman justice, she had to sit through torture. Mm -hmm. Right. And all because she was a woman. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 black black also, but both. And no man sits through that. No, no man gets that yeah. kind of abuse. And that's all about her body, mm-hmm. her body. Yeah. And it's, uh, so I feel very intensely about that. So are you hopeful for women right now? Or do you feel like it's hard to I, say? I'm really hopeful that we finally, as Americans, are facing the racism that was the beginning of this country. And I am really glad and relieved, and I thought it would never, ever happen not as a as a white woman that I know all the little bits and pieces, but certainly it's it's been a very long, long haul, and I just love it. And it's a silly thing, you know. You get the ads and and you know like Dean and yeah, I and, know. And, and all these black women in it. And it used to be that the ads showed a laughing woman with a with a laughing man, and they were both white and blonde, you know, and they're running down to the beach, and isn't that cute? And now it's not like that. It's not like that. And I am so glad and I really believe that that has come full force. It's never going to be enough to make up for what we've done as white people. Never. And for indigenous people. But at least there's some consciousness now that there really wasn't before. And that makes up for any other bad thing. There's lots of bad things. Certainly the abortion thing is a big one. But well, that's our bodies again, you know. Yeah. It gets down yeah. to that. Yeah. I'm really glad for that change. It's like the consciousness shifted and it won't go back. It's like you said. It's not going to go back. <laughs> it's not going to go back. I mean, an awful lot of people were killed, you know. Yes. But at least there's some sense, you know, even this thing about different hair consciousness, you know, that slap thing. I was completely in favor of the slap. I know it was a guy on a guy, and uh, but, you know, really... A, a joke about a woman's body. We've had enough of those. All our lives we've had those. And some of them, at least, are getting turned off. And that's not funny. Never was, never will be. Shut the fuck up. 
And I'm not in favor of violence, but a slap is scarcely violence, considering what's going on. Well, I'm curious if you would talk a little bit about what it means to you to live in your purpose, because that's kind of a topic. <laughs> so maybe like how and give advice, if you would, to those I'm listening who, that who I've been allowed to really grateful. No, you haven't been allowed to. What? allowed you well allowed no. to you know i no. mean this is this thing because when we started there were women young white women who came to work for us and they had nothing but contempt for what we were doing you know and i we just went sort of charging along you know the contempt let me just put in here the contempt was for the physical labor of washing dishes you know the chopping onions whatever it was they were not interested in this working class kind of work right yeah. there was that mm-hmm. there was also one of our friends, a woman who was a cook, and she was in London and was going out with a Korean guy who had a landlady who said, this is the way you make rice. And it wasn't the way anyone had heard of. And she did it. She's a good cook. She's chef. She showed me. And I thought, okay, that's great. And we had very sensible, intelligent white women working here. That's ridiculous. I mean, what are you talking about to one length of your finger? How big are your fingers? You know, what, do you know what I mean? I mean, this is just prejudice. <laughs> no, well, you know, this is somebody's crazy story or mm. that you could, you could put a clay pot on top of the stove and boil your, your beans in it. This is, you know, come on, you know, this is ridiculous. Well, it wasn't because I figure, you know, the thing that I have recently believed more than anything is that there's different kinds of intelligence. You know, my cat has one way of communicating. She can't talk and she barely meows, but I try to understand her language. Some of these women did not learn how to read and it's hard for them to read our recipes, but they are so smart in other ways that they more than make up for the differences. And of course, they do learn to read the recipes. It's harder for us who come through education system to understand what it is that they're saying. But it is so interesting, just like the different foods are interesting, the different techniques are just fascinating. I love that. And finally, we find places where there's respect for it, that there is some mathematical way of figuring out why the rice works when you put the water, so, you know, <laughs> blah, blah. But, and, but I don't really care because I trusted that this woman. It's women's been, knowledge yeah, that's she, been held. And, she'd been doing it, and that's the way her mother did it and all the rest. And that's a treasure to keep finding those things. And each culture, every culture has That's some. right. Yeah. Yeah. So it is exciting. And every now and then somebody, oh, okay, so this is a very simple thing beans in the pot and you put the water in and you start to boil them and some come up to the top and that happens and I've seen it happen a million times. Carol says, well, you just pour a little cold water in there and they'll all go down to the bottom. Yeah. I I mean, it's a little things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, simple thing. And I tried it out, of course, and of course it worked. And it's something she's been doing forever to get all the beans in the water cooking. You know, it's just, (laughs) I never heard of it. And here I am, 77 years yeah. old, and she taught me that two yeah, weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and, uh, all kinds and of things very like recently, that. we saw this thing about uh, cooking pasta in very little water. Yeah. That's yeah. unheard of. And someplace or other, we read about it, that it, so more of the flour of it, uh, it, be, it, it, it becomes more glutinous. That's better. Well, she's been doing that all along. And, and I've always thought, I never, you know, because she's so good at it, so, and, and it works, and I've never said anything to her about it. And But every time, she just barely covers the pasta with water. And yeah. it's sort of thick, and that's how she's been doing it. And this this is like a new thing from the times or something, right? 
yeah, wherever you right, got it, a, right. a recipe from the times. You know, it's like so that. So that's what it is. It's like if you listen carefully and, you know, it was a year or so ago and a big tall guy was at the desk and the cat and he was scratching the cat. We began talking about animal intelligence and it turned out that he was the uh, principal of a teenage school, public school in Norwalk. And he was talking about different kinds of intelligence and kids who are not academic and who they're at their own intelligence. I was so impressed that he knew that, you know, yeah. because most people don't know it. If you are looking for better ways to understand astrology and yourself, you are in luck because I have a course out now called The Planets. And it goes in depth into the stories of the planets, their characteristics, how we can have a relationship with them, how they may afflict us, and what to do about it. You also learn a lot about karma, about Vedic astrology, what it is, where it originates from, how to read your chart. So it's a pretty in-depth look and a helpful tool for you to better understand astrology. If you'd like to learn more, you can go to weaveyourbliss.teachable.com. You'll see the planets there and you can click through and learn more. Do you have any thoughts about living in your purpose and what that means specifically for or or advice that you may have for somebody who's trying to figure out like what they should be doing? Well, I do feel lucky, absolutely, that I happened. I met Selma back in uh, 1976 or something like that. That was yeah. 72. Five. Yeah, four. because that's when Adam was born. So, yeah, right, yeah. right. So 1972. And uh, that was, um, you know, I, I think about fate. I mean, it was fate that she happened to be in the same places uh, I was. It was a, a now chapter thing. And then we, I joined the now chapter. All of this brought me brilliantly to here. <laughs> so... Uh, she was taking pictures. I was taking pictures, and I still do. I love doing that. Um, but I don't know. I don't know about, I mean, I figure it was lucky. You know, it's hard to, to sift out the luck and the fate and the determination and all right, of those different right. things that end up leave, putting you where you end up. So I just figure all along the line, the major decisions that I made were good decisions and also lucky that I was in a place to make that to make them. decision. When I met her, and there she was wandering around taking pictures. Well, yeah, I had these two kids and never had any decent pictures. And I figured, oh, well, that's just photography. It's not. My mother wanted pictures of her grandchildren. So I asked Noel to do that. And she went and took pictures of my daughter. And I was stunned because I did not know that that was who my daughter was. She was 13 years old. I had never seen her properly. And Noel saw her. And that was amazing to me. So I began to think very differently about photography because the picture had the opinion of the photographer. It wasn't simply a duplicate copy of the person sitting in front of them. It was what she thought of them. And she liked my kid. It showed and everything about the, that bunch of pictures. So that was a big shock to find that out. She's very interesting. She still is interesting. <laughs> That's right. Sabrina. It is. She's, it, it just sometimes you make a particular connection with somebody and you can feel it, you know, it just feels like, boom, something happened there. And behind the camera, it's, uh, it's a very interesting thing because it separates you from whatever's going on. And the person, in a certain sense, it puts your own self out of it in a certain way. 
That's how I think of it. So my own self is out of it, but the observation is there. I don't know. It's a, it's a kind of a fine little line there, but it's important to me. And the way that I know it is I did a series of lo- lover's pictures, lesbian lovers. This was years ago, and it was because I was really upset w- with some kind of stupid movie, you know. I just didn't like it, and I thought, I have to express the beauty that I see. I did a series of pictures of friends of mine. And I found that when I was behind the camera, I could observe what was going on and not be, I, I can't, I can't quite, it's as if I'm not there in a certain way. And then when the camera, when I took the camera away and, you know, was just talking to them, it was just another thing entirely. It's a curious situation and interesting. I, I think it's an interesting art form just in general. I love it. You know, so. But it's different for her than it is for the other people. I had other fancy type photographers, women, take pictures of me, and I hated them. I mean, I always hated the pictures, you see, because I didn't feel they were about me at all. She knew who I was, and the picture well, and she took that, of me, she knew who I was, mm-hmm. and my own sense of myself. She knew it, and she recorded it. These other people didn't see me that way. They yeah, it's about intention, too. Yeah. What does this other person want to be saying? It's what do I want to be saying about you? So you may be sitting one way, and I'm thinking... That isn't how I think of her or looking, you know, it doesn't convey what I think of you or the, the person. And so I wait or I do something, move around a little bit or say, why don't you look out the window or whatever it is to get to the place where it looks like who I think it is, you know. And people look different every second of, you know, different, yeah, yeah. different ways. All the what time. part of Maine are you in? Waterville Unity area. Where, where's uh, Buffy? Oh, I don't know. She's on the coast someplace, right? Yeah, yeah okay. But I can't think of the... Because she's in Maine, and I know she'd love to hear your thing. <laughs> the podcast? Oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it'll be on the internet, so anyone can listen yeah, to yeah, it. Okay. <laughs> she set the type for our first cookbooks. Okay. And so we don't see her anymore, but, you know, we communicate with new reading material. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I know she'd love it. Yeah, that'd be great, yeah. Well, I do want to know, I have some rapid fires here, but I'm also curious about like how creativity plays into this. You get to be creative in your recipes and I know that you weave. Um, um, and, and anymore, it, yeah. it strikes me though as interesting that both of you had lives before Bloodroot where you were housewives and doing these kinds of things, but we now you're doing weave it until we had Bloodroot. But you, you decided to st- open a restaurant and be cooking, and yeah. but to do it on your own terms, you know? And, right. and there was a creativity in how it could be expressed, you know? Yeah. So I'm curious about that as well. Well, you know, like I say, it's, it was this old thing of mine. I wanted to know how different people's cultural things. And it's fun to know that somebody Polish makes a different dumpling called pierogi than the Russians do. You know what I mean? And it's just... It's yeah. exciting to know it. It is. You know, the, uh, the thing that I think is that to feel alive, and this is how I think, and I think Selma too, you want to produce something that is going to say, I was alive in this moment, whether it's a meal or it's a weaving or a ph- photograph or something that is, wow, I, I put it out there. I put myself out there. For so you're the, the agent of it. See, this yeah, is that's the point. Right. The, the agent. agent of change. You and, put a seed in the ground. And it comes up a, a moonflower, okay? But she's the agent of change that she puts that yeah. seed in there. Or, or, or you, you cook something, and, and instead of being kale, it's kale done a certain way. You're the agent. I think that's what the secret of life is. I wrote that whole thing at the beginning <laughs> of the cookbook. The secret of life is being the agent of change. But it's of something alive, something that becomes alive because of your action on it. And it leaves something 
I figure when we die, it's what we're leaving behind that exists. I, you know, I don't think we're going to heaven or anything like that, but we leave things behind, and that's part of it in my mind. You know, that uh, that makes us legacy. Yeah, it's a legacy, and it's also you you still exist in some way. I mean, I look at pictures uh, of, for instance, my mother. Well, you know, that's left. That's what I see of her, and she died a long time ago. She left that that photograph. I have that photograph. And that's not exactly the right way to think about this. I'm trying to think, well, I took a photograph of her daughter. And if I were to die tomorrow, she'll see that photograph of her daughter and she'll think of me too. And that's how, and that goes on for generations. I mean, people always are looking to past generations. Yeah. And you'll, you'll live on in blood root. That's right. Right. It's the memories. Yes. I think about that a lot because, of course, people I know have died. And I know because I remember my mother so much now, far more. I wasn't thinking about her back when she was alive, which is stupid. But, you know, if you have the memory of them, and this is an old Jewish thing, that that's why on Yom Kippur you say the names of your relatives, because then they live on, they are remembered. Somebody was here and she was saying how much she missed someone that we both knew. And I said, but she's not gone because you're remembering her and you have that memory of how good she was in your life. So she's not gone. And that's the important thing is to remember the things you've had together. Well, are you willing to do some rapid fires? You, they're quick questions you sure, can answer. Yeah, yeah. I, wanna, I have some cooking. I yeah, want to do yeah. But yeah, sure. Okay. Um, what is one piece of advice that's helped you in your life? Let's go on to the next one. <laughs> I think the most important thing was that when we saw this place, which had no kitchen and no windows and was not findable, my mother said she thought it was beautiful. And she asked my father to put up some money for it. That was very good advice. I don't know. What else? Right. I, that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> okay. When you feel anxious, confused, or frustrated, what's the first thing you do to ground yourself? <laughs> I think about what I'm going to cook tomorrow. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> oh, I can't answer these questions. <laughs> um, well, what's your favorite hot beverage? Hot beverage. Oh, tea. Tea. Yeah. Black tea. tea? Or... No, tea with oatly. Oh. Tea with oatly and a little uh, agave. I love it. Yes. Um, what would be your last meal on earth? The one I had last night. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's no way so to much. pick one. I love food and I love the diversity of it. So I do a different one every yeah. night. Just something from Bloodroot, some meal from here. Yeah. And other places, too. We've been going to a uh, supposedly Japanese place, which is actually Chinese. And it's run by Chinese. This is often the yeah. case, a Japanese restaurant. Yeah. It's Chinese people who are doing the cooking. And it's Japanese food that they're cooking, but it's Chinese doing it. But it's yeah. not what regular Japanese No, cook. yeah, that's right. <laughs> we go there, too. But, you know, it's just... Yeah. I, I, I couldn't pick any one thing. Yeah. I love greens. I love anything green, like kale. And she loves beans, too. And I love beans. She has and, uh, the best beans, but she I loves do. them. I do. I do. I love them. I figured out the best way to cook them, too. So it's a sort of a combination. You know, that's the other thing about cooking. It is, uh, it, you know, every now and then you come up with something entirely new, but it's very, very rare. Usually it's based on, you know, a gradual building up of things from the past. And so the beans that I, some of the things are good and I think are too, um, it's a bunch of different recipes that I sort of put together to give the most flavor to the beans. And they're delicious. Any kind of bean. But yeah, beans, I can't resist a green. Cooked well. Broccoli. Yeah. Broccoli I love rock. broccoli. And broccoli rock, <laughs> yeah. kale, all of that stuff. Yeah. Garlic in there, olive oil, you know, yeah. pepper flakes, salt. And, um, it's so much fun. We've got these new customers now 
who are Korean. I never knew anything about Korean food. Oh my God, it is so interesting. You know, spicy and very different from any other Asian food. It's just, it's such a treat, you know? I love a good bibimbap. That's one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, do you have a morning routine? Is there anything about it that's non-negotiable? <laughs> Probably my whole morning routine is non-negotiable. I go downstairs. I make myself a cup of tea. I get the paper outside, and I don't get on. I don't get dressed until after I have tea and read the paper. Then I go back upstairs, and nothing comes between that. Uh huh. The tea is really important. Okay. Yunnan Supreme tea. Yes. Okay. That's good tea. <laughs> I get dressed right away. That's not negotiable. Yeah, she's and she gets up earlier and everything. I kind of eight o'clock. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> then I go downstairs get the paper. Yeah. I call up Noel. Did you see the paper today? You got to see what's on page. <laughs> she always tells me what to read. If I missed it, I missed that. I probably did. And she says that's like right now. What was it? You, you, you the just, college article. Right. I've got to read that. Yeah. yeah. I think it's absolutely. True. You know how stupid it is to assume that that's essential. Mm-hmm. And that was Obama. You know. Yeah. Yeah. He did dumb things. Yeah. Um, so tell us a, about a person who inspires you and why. Well, we really like Mary Daly a lot. Yeah. Do you know Mary Daly? I know from this. Yeah. The bunch of them. She, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, there were all these people that we met, and it, it was just so interesting, their different abilities and the different ways that they were inspirational. I mean, Audrey was definitely inspirational, you know, as a poet, and she came here often. She was very sexual, you know. So did Lord. Yeah. yeah. And Mary was Irish, Catholic, grew up poor, funny, brilliant. You know, it was a whole other thing that she was. It was very much a wonderful thing to know them both. They didn't like each other. But to know them both was just a marvelous thing. And that's, you know, like nobody's perfect, but there were so many people that were inspirational to us. Um, Catherine McKinnon, uh, Andrea Dworkin. These were people who were radical feminists, really radical feminists, each in a different way. And they were an inspiration. And we're really proud to be with them any time that they came here. Yeah, Yeah, they each one had, uh, it's as if the feminism is like a diamond and there's different aspects to it. And each one of them enlarged the aspect for us, whatever. And I don't know that there's anyone right now that I feel that way about. There's some back then women, and I can't think of her name now, but the woman down in New Orleans, no, who uh, had a restaurant and Martin Luther King would come there and all the people who planned to march would come there. And, you know, the, the other one was Scott Pico. So exciting to know that they existed, but I didn't know them. I just read about them and because they were themselves and it was a big fight. I can't think of anybody's name, so that's no help. It's okay. Well, do you have any books that you would recommend the listeners read that would be either about feminism or not? Anything that you just is like your book that you return to? Well, that oh, that we return to, or that you just love, or the well, one you just told me about? Yeah, yeah, the beast before us. Well, I would recommend that book because because the woman has got such spirit, and she's obviously in charge of herself. She has agency for sure, and it's very impressive. And it, it's like it's a very good example for women to see that. And I would definitely recommend that. Any of the uh, authors that we just talked about. You know, people don't go back and read them that much, but occasionally to read Mary Daly or Andrea. Andrea was always around her body and the abuse that women suffered as a result of being women in the world. 
And so she's very interesting on that subject, which nobody else is talking about these days. Andrea Dworkin, yeah. yeah but, and um, Adrian Rich, Adrian. you know, who was here also. And she wrote a book about motherhood that yeah. nobody's done yeah. anything yeah, touches it. Good. Well, we'll put those in the show notes so people who are listening will be able to see those in the show notes. The last question is, what is bringing you joy right now? I want to go make a new bread. <laughs> a new bread? Yeah. It's a different one. Oh, okay. No, it's, it, you know, there's always some other food thing to do, and that's so much fun. Mm-hmm. So much fun. You know, what can I tell you? Yeah. Well, it's great that you've been doing it for 45 years, yeah, and you still it? love it. Oh, yeah. there's more and more, you know. It's yeah, like yeah. multiplying. I wish it would slow down a little because... I got too many recipes. I can't keep track of them. I lose them. Oh, God. <laughs> but when I can't sleep at night, I think about it. And it always gives me pleasure to think about it. Beautiful. Do you have For any? me, joy. Well, the cats give me joy. Yeah. Cooking, cooking something that's beautiful gives me joy. It really yeah. does. I'm making bread now, and I'm just crazy about it. Which and- bread are you making? No, not, I mean, in general, not today. Okay, not okay, okay. Because I didn't want to get in your way. No, no, no. I no, used no. to make the rye bread, and I got sick. And she's making the rye bread, and... She's much better than me. It really makes me angry, but it's delicious the way she's doing it. I mean, you see, I I have all the benefit of all her experience with bread and watching her for years. And she finally let me do it. And I'm just delighted to be able to do it and to please her. And it's delicious. It's delicious. delicious. Beautiful. I'm always trying, well, what if I did this? What if I did that? No. Yeah, sometimes this is sometimes happens where, you know, I think the thing is perfect. Don't do anything more with it. And, you know, she wants to try something new. But I'm like, nope, we're staying here with this one. So I mean, you could doing. do a painting, you could do a sculpture, but you can't eat those. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's great if you can eat it. <laughs> right. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really okay. appreciate All right. it. All right. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Weave Your Bliss podcast. We hope it was inspiring for you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a comment for us. I want to thank the team at Team Podcast who helped get this podcast out to you. And also to thank the musicians who were the creators of this beautiful music we're listening to now. It comes from an album, Fragments of a Season, by Alexis Georgopoulos and Jeffrey Cantuladesma. So check it out wherever you get your music. Have a wonderful day and we will connect soon on a future episode.